construction info, you know where to go. The Mass Construction Show. With your host, Joe Kelly. Covering every square inch of construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Build on. This made me laugh. Maybe it'll make you laugh too. So I left it in. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Lee Dearborn, managing partner at Derby Squeak. Managing far. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Lee Dearborn, managing partner at Derby Square Architects and owner at the Makers Guild. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. So mass cons, you may have noticed that the podcast has been a little slow lately. Frankly, it will most likely be slow through June until I get my footing back a bit. There's just so much to do. For example, today's show was recorded over a month ago, and I just haven't been able to find the time to edit it and get it out the door. I am very excited about the content to come, so if you'll just bear with me, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming soon. In this episode, we speak with Lee about biophilic design, what it means, what it is, why you should practice it, and how to do it simply. Lee has practical experience as, as a designer, builder, and developer, so he brings a lot to the table. Enjoy the show. Hey, Lee, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Hey, Joe. Lee, you, you, uh, I, normally I would try and put it in a nutshell myself, but I'll, I'll, I think you might do it best. Um, you don't have a typical job, my quotes for people, air quotes for people listening. So maybe could you explain to people that are listening, you know, what do you do? Yes. Well, right now I'm a, I'm a principal partner with a, an architecture firm here in Salem, uh, Derby Square Architects. Uh, and then I, I also own my own small uh, design build company. And I've done several uh, residential renovations and, and some other small kind of specialty projects. Now, uh, the design build is called the Makers Guild? Correct. Yep. Because some people want to start poking around. Uh, yeah. So you were kind enough to write a piece at my request uh, on biophilic design. But I think maybe a good place to start is just generally the term biophilia. Like people may or may not have even heard of it. And then the people, there's going to be another population that has heard it and do not know what it means. Yeah. Uh, so maybe if you could just kind of give people a rough idea of what is... Uh, what's biophilia generally? Yeah, so so the term is coined by um, uh, E.O. Wilson, who's a professor at Harvard. Back in the 80s, he coined this term. And it basically just means that, uh, you know, he feels that humans have this inherent um, affinity for nature. That connection, um, you know, should be recognized and... We should be using, you know, using nature more often in in design and in everyday life. Yeah, I think that's a good point, right? Because we're going to talk about it from a design perspective, but, you know, it could be everywhere. It could be from an urban planning perspective and just how do we incorporate that? Yeah. Now, does that mean strictly, you know, we're talking adding plants or where does it stop? What does it extend? What's considered... 
Yeah, well, it's a good question. I, I think um, that can be kind of left up to to you, how, how you want to embrace your connection to nature. While in my case, I'm kind of using biophilic design as my kind of guide. Biophilia, and I should point out, E.O. Wilson, I don't think he necessarily um, coined that term in relation to, to design, which I think I may have said, but um, just that that connection exists. And then biophilic design has, has then kind of uh, spun off of that that definition. So, like I said, it's just really embracing that that connection and how we do that is is kind of up to you. In my case, in biophilic design, um, I look at it as how can we, you know, design sort of not to uh, to restate my uh, my article title, but how can we design with nature in mind? How do we embrace our connection to to the natural world? You know, establish a better connection between the built environment and the natural environment. Yeah, I mean, I like that you don't put it in a box because I think it could be a picture of nature. It could right. be uh, a, a rock even, right? Like it could be exposed wood beams. It's any of those things that are are natural, either visual elements or physical elements could as well as living organisms could all fall into that umbrella if I'm hearing you right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, this this all-consuming or uh, this, you know, overarching uh, principle that you have to do it this certain way or else it doesn't fall into that biophilic design category. Uh, I think it's embracing the, 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 the philosophy, the idea, and then incorporating it into your life, uh, how you, however you see fit, so long as it just, you know, like I said, as long as it, it really, um, you know, embraces the connection to the natural environment and respects it, really. You know, why would we, why would we bother to do that, though? Well, it's a good question. I, I, I think, I kind of read about this in one of the books about biophilic design. Um, it's really to. In my opinion, it's to kind of enhance the human experience through the built environment. So whatever we build, uh, if we embrace this philosophy, it will enhance the, the human experience in a lot of different ways. I think it helps with our physical health. You know, if we're using natural materials, if we're connecting ourselves to uh, the outdoors, if we're improving uh, the quality of the air we breathe, those are all things I think that benefit us physically and mentally as well. And, you know, kind of going back to what we learn in architecture school, you know, our whole, you know, our sort of, even though we don't technically have a Hippocratic oath, I mean, our job is really to enhance the environments that we build and, and improve people's lives through the buildings we design. So it's kind of embracing that base uh, principle and, and um, you know, incorporating that into the buildings that we design. Yeah. So it's funny, there's, you, you read these things out there and, you know, studies where they put people on traffic islands, take measures of stress, you know, right. heart rate and variability and all these other kind of different levels in, in the blood of like stress hormones that get released and things like that. And right. They put them out there and they go way up when they're in traffic and then they leave right. them on the traffic island and just surround them with plants yeah. and those numbers go down. Right? right. So in some cases it's, it's 
quantifiable. Right? Sure. There's all different types of studies out there that show that it's quantifiable, but like at its base level, you tend to feel better, right? And it's, you can't just have the cell be that you feel better because that's, people might say, oh, do I really feel better? Do I not feel better? But I think it's a combination of, well, how do you feel when you're around things like this? Mm-hmm. And then couple it with some of the quantitative stuff where they study things and they see your improvement in, you know, Japan, in Japan, I won't know the actual phrase for it, but the English translation is they call it forest bathing. Mm-hmm spending time out in the forest to yeah. make yourself feel better. Yeah. I, I think all, for all of those reasons, it's it's something that we should really explore. And we have to understand that a, a lot of this is happening at an unconscious level. Yeah. If, if you, you know, just do a quick Google search, unconscious decision-making or something like that, yeah. you'll see a whole host of studies by different professors and the range is 90, 90 to 95% of all of our decisions are made at a subconscious or unconscious level. Right. And I think in the same way, like we go into a room with plants or that is has a lot of natural, a lot of nature in it, we feel better. We don't realize it at a conscious level, but subconsciously we, we feel better. So right. I don't know if you think that's kind of a fair assessment. No, no absolutely. I mean, our environment, in our behavior, I believe, are one of the other directly. For example, if you were walking down, if you're walking down a street, it's really not um, designed for pedestrians, right? It's all parking lots, you know, to your right, and you're right next to roads with flying traffic. There's no trees, no buffer between you and, and the road, and cars are turning in and out of, uh, you know, our parking lot driveways. You know, that, that feeling you get, you're not comfortable. You know, yeah, it's not a comfortable situation. It's not scaled or designed for um, pedestrians, really. Whereas if you're, you know, in an, in a small uh, city where you've got trees to buffer you between, you know, between the sidewalk and the road and gardens and, uh, you know, people's front yards to the left of you, you're, you're much more comfortable, right? That affects our behavior, that affects how we feel you know, at, at a subconscious level, sometimes, you know, I'm probably more aware of it than somebody else, how the environment affects my behavior and the way I feel, but, uh, you know, others, it is at a subconscious level. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, that, that is an individualistic thing, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. I, I was lucky enough on the food front, uh, well, unlucky and lucky that you know i had some blood sugar problems and because of those blood sugar problems the food i ate had a very acute response with me Mm -hmm. so it made me realize that okay like this is affecting me dramatically and once you realize it's affecting you dramatically you can make the changes right so if you're aware of that that's all the better now it's funny i asked you to write something about this because i think there's lots of people that study these things i've listened mm-hmm. to someone here locally at tufts that's kind of big into uh, not necessarily just biophilic design but uh this field yeah but you know I, I like that first off you don't claim you're not claiming to be an expert at this right you are somebody yeah. that <laughs> studied architecture yeah did real estate but then has your design build piece where you're going ahead and trying as best you can to put these things in 
to practice and execute right. them both and what I think is great is both as a or almost all as a builder, some cases developer and other cases in designer, sometimes all three, yeah. sometimes just one. But I think that's great because I'd rather see somebody who, you know, when you're a developer, you just can't, you know, sit there and be an academic and say, oh, hey, theoretically, this is going to be utopia and I'm going to design right. like, OK, well. I'm gonna I'm gonna take out a loan. I need to you know <laughs> make money on this, right? So, yeah. but how did you actually get into biophilic design to begin with? I really I guess I just I'm always reading, researching, and um, on the subject of planning and design, and I've always kind of taken a, a more holistic approach to the to the profession. You know, I, I've I studied architecture in school. I, I started my master's in urban planning, but didn't finish. You know, I've done, I've worked in construction for many years. I started on construction sites when I was about 13. My dad's a, a general contractor. So I've always liked to understand all the different parts of the built environment from, you know, uh, high level planning, urban planning, right down to you know, understanding how to trim out a certain portion of a house, you know, all the little details of home building, you know, in, in my research and in general studying the the, the profession, um, I've kind of leaned more towards, you know, the kind of the sustainable side of building. It's just been something that's always interested me. And um, it wasn't, but it probably, I don't know, four or five years ago that I kind of came across this philosophy of, of biophilic and the more I read about it, it just, you know, it struck a chord with me and it just made a lot of sense and largely because it was, it was more like we kind of talked about before, kind of a, a sort of a, almost like a general suggestion of how, you know, we, we can design better. And, um, you know, you can just use these principles to start and in, in start incorporating them into designing and building you know, without having to put, you know, a, sort of a, a label on it like this, you know, it doesn't have to be, this is a biophilic design project or this, you know, or like you see, this is a lead certified project or, you know, it can just kind of, you know, you can just kind of use it to guide, um, you know, guide you through, through the design process and, and make some decisions that, you know, will uh, incorporate uh nature into the the design that you do it's funny how you said you were just kind of generally curious about all of the different aspects of building yeah, yeah. Uh, when you were saying that i said and i've said this before but this is that's why i started this show right I always felt like there was so much more to learn. It's like, it's so amazing what we do as builders and designers and developers, but there's all these different roles within it. Right. And especially on bigger projects, you just know your role. Like I right. remember as a super, I got handed a set of drawings and said, go build this building. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered like, okay, well, how did they pick this piece of land? Why did they decide to put residential here and not offices how did they get the right. permit what is like the zoning process like how does it like 
how do you finance this? Who pays for it? You know, because yeah. I'd sit in the job and you'd have all these different people walk out and they'd say, well, that's the owner, but these are the investors. And then there's institutional investors and there's individual, like, okay, does right. who cobbles all that money? Like there was so yeah. much to learn. And I'm like, I want to know all of this. So yeah. I felt like this was a way that I could bring all the people from all the different roles that go together to put mm -hmm. a project, you know, bring a project to life. Like this was a way that I could get to talk to all of them and, and learn them. So yeah. I kind of feel the same way as you do. Like there's so much to know. And then every once in a while, I, I'll hook on to something and kind of go down a rabbit hole, right? Yeah. Like you went down that rabbit hole yeah. <laughs> and had a natural affinity to it because I, I guess you, you kind of inherently felt the benefits of nature is that that about yeah right? yeah i mean i i've, I've, I've long had a, a a strong connection to to nature through my experiences in life really you know and, and and that's how we make a lot of our decisions right is you know our own life experiences and i've just had uh, positive experiences in, in nature whether it was you know growing up and spending a lot of time uh in the, the white mountains up in new hampshire um, my family's had a, a cottage up there for all of my life and then some, you know, two of my lives almost. I still, you know, almost daily I'm out on walks with my son and take him into the woods or to the beach or to a pond or something. Um, you know, my college experience was fortunate to go to a, a great school that was, you know, at a butt at the, the Rocky Mountains. You know, you, you're sitting right at the right at the base of the Rocky Mountains. So um, lots of opportunities to, to explore nature there. I think what I started to realize over the years is there's there's always kind of been this uh, this disconnect from it. Like we, we just sort of accept it. You know, we live in our buildings and then nature is over there. And we're, you know, our buildings are, are, are built to protect us from nature, right? And the mm -hmm. elements, what, what interested me interested uh, me in, in biophilic design was this idea, well, you, you can kind of blend the two if you think about it and if you do it properly. I mean, there's the builder side of me that's like, well, all right, you got you to think about how to keep water out and how to keep mold and all these other things out. But, you know, how can you how can you kind of marry the two successfully and, um, you know, kind of be more immersed in nature? Uh, uh with your buildings and it's not going to apply to everything we do you know that i'm not saying let's just everything's got to be biophilic designed and it's got to be you know we have to have a connection to nature with every building you know i i understand that's not you know going to work for every program of building we have but um i just like the idea of doing it more um with the buildings we have and, and you know with our, our buildings, our neighborhoods, our cities. Um, and I see examples where it is unsuccessfully. And I think uh, the benefits of it are, are really impressive. Mm. So do you think that currently architecture and urban planning are doing it wrong for, for lack of a better phrase? In some places, and and that's based on kind of uh, I would say that's kind of a learning process. You know, I don't, I don't think the intention is to to do it incorrectly. I think, you know, we learn as we go 
in this profession can be generally said for a lot of things, right? I think we're learning that some of the stuff we've done isn't done properly and that maybe we need to incorporate some of these principles, uh, among others. I think where we went wrong or, or why is up for debate, but you know, it, it's kind of always changing and there's always, you know, there's always something to learn. So even if we do it wrong, so long as we understand what we did wrong, um, you know, we can just continue to improve upon it. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that would say, we're definitely doing it wrong, right? Right. I'm saying they're right. But I think there are some things that we can look at and be like, okay, I think the majority of people are going to say that's wrong. Uh, yeah. Take strip malls with big box stores and uh, chain restaurants. And, you know, nobody looks at that and says, this is great architecture that makes me feel good. Right. <laughs> no one, uh, I don't think any, yeah, no, no one would say that. Your answer is kind of, well, it's nuanced and it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. It's like just yeah. how, how we can do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be diplomatic about it. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's like, I think it's good to point out to folks. I mean, because everyone yeah. will know that they go can recognize if they go to a place, whether if they're lucky enough to having gone to a European city. Yeah and go there and say wow i just i felt good there yeah like, wow this feels nice there's a great as bad as twitter is is a twitter account rathanon that uh g-n-o-n that uh greg garvin turned me on to and mm -hmm. you know he just has all these pictures of architecture from around the world that you yeah. know you just look at and feel fantastic plop yourself in a dense urban city that when you leave there, I know other people get charged up by New York, but I know I go to New York City for a weekend. I need a vacation. I feel exhausted. Right? I know. I'm exactly. I feel the same way. It's it's exhausting. And yeah, people like that. Some people like that energy, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going back to kind of the European though, do you do you think we had it right before? Yeah, like your I cottage, mean, was your cottage done right? And like we knew how to build before and and we've lost that? Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, there, we, there's there's good examples of, of um, design and planning and, and we've done things the right way and we've done them, we've probably done them the wrong way as well over the, you know, even, you know, and, and historically it depends how far back are we, are we going here. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about, you know, how rapidly, you know, we've developed in the modern uh, landscape, the need to develop it so rapidly. And, you know, that could be, could keep going down that, you know, down that road. But, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of people on the planet and, you know, we have to uh, build in order to, um, you know, to provide awesome. dwellings and, and, and places for them to inhabit. So, I think something there's something to be said about the the speed at which we do it. You know, when you look at you go back historically, you know, at it, 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 uh, what we see is you know beautiful works of of architecture and design, and um, you know, you look at the amount of time that was spent designing and planning those those places, the respect they had for for the profession back then. I mean, 
depends how far back you go. But I mean, architects were at a time heralded like, you know, some of the most uh, revered people in 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 the community. You know, mm -hmm. they were incredibly uh, intelligent and they their profession is considered of the utmost importance. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question in short, I mean, we, we certainly were doing things the right way. Um, you know, many years ago, um, there was certainly probably some flaws, uh, but we've accelerated how much we've built. And um, there's there's bound to be mistakes, you know, when you when you develop the landscape that quickly. Yeah. I wonder how much I often think like how much of a role the Industrial Revolution played in yeah. this, where yeah. we everything got to a point where we're manufacturing everything and producing in high volumes. And right. even there was, um, I had the essential craftsman on and he was talking about, um, a book. It's like a famous book amongst carpenters. Um, mm -hmm. it was a guy out of California that like basically came up with the way to frame houses quickly. Mm -hmm. They like right. mechanized it. Like there was just different crews and they'd be able to stick frame houses in you know, three days or yeah. something wild and I wish I could remember the name of the book but like it was of that time where that was what we were looking to do how can we build them faster and cheaper and yeah. more people in and and go and go and go and faster and faster and faster and that's fine it's great to build things faster and more economically and uh, predictably but it shouldn't be at the expense of design at the expense of the end user so I think yeah. that's 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 my thought. So I think your answer is correct. And then I would think that the industrial revolution is probably at the genesis of that. Yeah, yeah, I think that was certainly a, a turning point. You referenced early even in this conversation, it's, it's E.O. Wilson? Yep. And he had, in your article, you talked about he had eight principles. We don't need to go through mm -hmm. all eight of those principles, but like, what are some of his principles that he talked about? And what are kind of the benefits of those? Well, so the one I think the ones you're referring to are actually um, the one in uh, Stephen. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The practice of uh, biophilic design. You know, he's like you say, he's got eight basic principles. I think kind of the underlying theme in all of them. You know, the, the connection to nature, and, and um, in those eight principles, he, he kind of highlights. Uh, I could name a few, one being intellect, right? You know, using nature as a means to advance uh, rational thought is what he what he states in that principle. And the benefits of, of um, biophilic design will, will kind of enhance our intellect. So if we have a connection to nature, which I kind of see is like, you know, we're we're incorporating a more complex environment into our everyday living, right? So we're we're not just looking at, you know, these um, buildings as like innate objects that we just kind of inhabit and move through, but rather, you know, we have more complex systems within them that include uh, the natural environment. So we're seeing, you know, you know, different plant life, and we're we're engaging with, you know, the elements more often and um you know that in turn 
enhances our uh, intellect, you know, because we're not having to process things uh, in a different way when we inhabit buildings. And so, is that because you're saying that, like, we uh, intuitively or naturally understand nature, but if we have something that we're not used to encountering, we have to work harder to to recognize that, and it it's more straining. Whereas if it's natural stuff, we're very comfortable with that, and we don't, you know, we don't mentally strain to. Yeah, well, I get. I guess not that it's a. I guess maybe not that it's a mental strain, um, but that if you know, if if we're in an environment that introduces these natural elements, it actually it kind of provokes a little bit more um, interaction with our environment. You know, for example, if I was if you were just walking through, you know, uh, you know, a very dull institutional white walls and yeah like institutional type building it's just very you know it, it, you're not engaged really with mm -hmm. with your environment right but if if you started introducing things um that, feature or yeah things from you know more natural type of environment um i think our, our brains are, are bound to kind of process that differently and engage with the with our surroundings differently mm -hmm. um so I think his what I interpret is that his point is that you know uh, it kind of sparks our intellectual um, capacity because we're now processing more information around us uh, hmm. within a natural within a natural environment. It is almost like uh, it sparks creativity and curiosity by being yeah. around something that's engaging. Exactly. Yeah. What are some other examples? Just so the intellect one. What else did you have in there? One of the other ones is uh, symbolism. I kind of way I kind of interpret that is just you know at the very core of you know design is just what we what we design is very symbolic, right? So what we look at in a in a building um, when it's designed or a neighborhood or a city is you know. I think what we're seeing is a lot of different symbols, symbols, right? And and how we interpret those, you know, is important to, uh, you know, our experience in that environment. So, if we incorporate symbols of nature more in the environments we design, um, I see that as you know, an opportunity to, um, you know, improve our our levels of, of creativity, our, our capacity for uh, intellectual development, you know, can help improve our communication um, because I kind of see it as the difference between going through like a kind of a kind of cookie cutter suburb neighborhood and going through, you know, somewhere like you pointed out, like a European village, you know, in those two different environments are kind of symbolically different, right? They kind of tell us different stories about that place. One is embedded with, it just, there. It, it kind of has all of this, it seems to have more culture in it and, and mm -hmm. a more rich environment where the other just seems kind of, as I described, kind of cookie cutter. It just- It's yeah. funny that you mentioned that because like, 
uh, I don't know the actual definition of culture, mm -hmm. but as I would understand it, it's people and the way right. they speak and maybe attitudes and dance and art and food and all that other kind of stuff. Right. But the fact that you could drive through and look at a place and see culture, usually yeah. culture, I think of something as you would experience culture. Right. Um, but the fact that you say that you can see there's more culture there, and I think that's correct. I think it's also strange that that's actually possible, that yeah. just by design, you can tell there's more culture in a place than in a yeah. sterile suburban cul-de-sac, right? right? Yeah. Huh. That's very interesting. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, and I, I, I don't think I, I kind of drew that same conclusion as you did, but I, yeah, I, I see what you mean. When you think of culture, you think of social aspects of a, of a community, you know, mm -hmm. um, art, language, um, but yeah, as the way I'm kind of looking at it is the place as a culture. And, mm. you know, if you removed all of those things and you just went through this place, would it, would it kind of, uh, would it represent uh, culture just by, by looking at it? Mm. Cause you could take all those people from that theoretical village you're talking about, right. village you're talking about and move all those people with the same artwork and food and dance and attitude and put them in a suburban cul-de-sac. Yeah. And that culture would still kind of be there. I don't know if it would be dampened right. by the environment, but, but it's very interesting that, and I think it's accurate that you could see culture by looking at. Yeah the design of a place. Well, yeah, and I, I think that speaks to, you know, designing to the context, right? You know, so we, you know, in this this kind of imaginary village that I'm speaking of where it, it, it kind of oozes culture, um, it just kind of fits in that place, right? Like when you go to some places and, and you see um, these villages or, you know, these neighborhoods or these homes and i think we've all been there where it fits it just it fits into the context perfectly it was like nothing else could have been built here um that would have fit into this this place any better when you have you know a neighborhood in you know somewhere say in in arizona and the same exact looking neighborhood up in pennsylvania it lacks any of that right is it's not really built to the context. It's really built from cookie cutter book of mm. throwing up a house. So that's that's kind of where I, I find that use of the term culture exists. So if, if, unless you want to talk some more about what some of um, the author's principles are, that's fine too. But what have you now kind of taken and put into your designs? Like what, what have you used or what would you even like to use moving forward? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, what I what I'd like to do is, you know, and what I'm starting to do more of is just, you know, kind of use these principles to guide uh, the buildings that I design and, and, and help build. Um, and, you know, in the article I wrote, I think I outlined uh, several of these these simple um, 
strategies and it's an abundance of natural light. The more natural light I can get into a building, the better. I mean, I'm happy if I don't have to use artificial lighting uh, in a home or a building the entire day. You know, don't have to turn on lights until the sun's down. You know, fresh air, especially uh, naturally ventilating a home. I mean, as soon as I can, I'm always opening my windows, you know, and, you know, access to opening more windows and doors in the home to um, get access to that fresh air, but also incorporating systems that, that incorporate that uh, allow fresh air into the home you know views out to you know to the outdoors you know just you have kind of a, a reminder of looking out a door or a window and seeing something that uh, you know just can uh, you know make you stop and, and and appreciate what's out there um, the use of natural material bringing more nature inside and, and blurring that line between inside and outside. So improving the access. So like trying to get access to the outdoors at almost every level of the house or room, you know, is something I try to do, you know, and also like actually planning, put plants in the home, actually designating areas to, to put different house plants or built-in planters and looking at the outdoor space, you know, looking at the entire lot, which, you know, and it's it's often, and it is done, but um, doing more of that as the, you know, the, the designer, not just focusing on the building, but, you know, the whole lot and how it can be used, you know, in creating outdoor rooms, whether it's not, you know, not just like a patio right off the, the back of the house, but, you know, maybe a little patio there. And then over in one corner of the yard is another sitting area and, you know, another room on another side in each of the places used at different times of the day where sun, you know, might be hitting a certain spot or shaded in one spot during a part of the day, you know, really engaging the entire property as best you can. Yeah. And, and trying to incorporate as many renewable energy sources when you can, you know, if you can, if you harvest an energy source, you have access to good solar orientation or even you know, using little little uh, windmills in your, on your property, um, hmm. anything you can do to, to kind of offset your your footprint, you know, I always try and push that a little. I haven't seen that. So there's like small windmills that you can install? Yeah, you can do you can do little small ones that you can mount like on your your roof. You don't see them often. Last time I saw one, I was actually using college as as a working for a, a small moving company and we had moved a husband and wife moved kind of way out uh, kind of eastern part of Colorado so more, more flat and bless you they had yeah they had like two of these little towers uh, windmill towers and then and then he had a little shed with about he must have had about a hundred car batteries in there and the windmills were just charging these car batteries and that's how he was getting his electricity wow that's yeah. wild. Yeah. Huh. Learn something new. Yeah. And I thought you had a couple of like, like simple ways, like one thing that I saw you incorporate, but then another you just said early on where you just talked about placement of a window. If there's a beautiful tree outside, let's place a window so that you can look out that window and see it. And maybe it's a yeah. picture or, or what have you, but that seemed so basic to me, but yeah, made so much sense. And 
if you're not thinking and, and not to make the leap and saying like, okay, everything has to be through this biophilic lens, but yeah. at least to have the biophilic lens or, okay, I'm designing this home. Right. Let's go to the site and look around. Like what's, what's beautiful. What's worth looking at right. and let's design the house so we can see that. Whether, yeah. Okay. That's where the slider is, you know, so we can go look out the door to that or a picture window or just a regular window that is looking at that, beautiful tree and then the one thing that i saw in one of your designs was really just like the use of where you you just said earlier talking about blurring the lines mm -hmm. right where you have like an indoor space that kind of has an outdoor space attached like it's all on the same level so it's so it's right. like connected and you know yes there's a door there but it's a slider and it's glass and it's designed in a way that it feels contiguous right those are both some relatively simple things that can be done that have a big, big impact, uh, at least from, yeah. from, I don't know if you agree, but. No, I, I agree totally. And I, I think they probably one of the projects you're referring to is um, a project I'm working on in Colorado right now. Yeah, it, it's a really unique project, interesting project. And uh, the way we cited the building is very different from kind of what what you see in that that neighborhood it's I mean, it's a beautiful area in twin lakes incredible mountain views and you know, these beautiful lakes below and most of the houses you see in that neighborhood they they tend to grab the 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 part of the the property that's perched up high and they'll they'll perch their house up on top of that you know mo mostly to to get as the best views that they can it just kind of seems like the logical thing to do on a lot of those properties but what we did on this property was we actually went down onto kind of this shelf so we've got a big kind of hill behind us that we could have built on but we stepped down onto this shelf and we're keeping as many of, of the pine trees that are there um intact we're, we're taking very few trees down we actually kind of sighted the building you know to, to really immerse itself onto the the site rather than perch itself perch itself up away from you know the trees it's down kind of in it so you know it, just kind of taking a different approach from the get-go of how you're going to site your building you know when when you have the opportunity to do a new build like this you know kind of immerse yourself in in the site mm. um, and it provides that opportunity to you know experience it in a, in a very different way and it's funny i i, I don't want people to get confused because like, that sounds like okay well that's great if you can build a mountainside right. home yeah. in colorado and have sure. a couple extra million lying around in the drawer <laughs> um but it doesn't have to be a lot of these things are affordable like you look at you were the one that pointed singapore out to me a while mm -hmm. back and they're building public housing right with a lot of these concepts yeah uh, and then you look at carlton carlton landing out in i want to say it's oklahoma it's that uh, a thousand year house is the guy on Instagram. And he took a lot that would traditionally put one house on it. Mm -hmm. And I want to say he built about 12 of them on there and he wow. built them out of brick right? and just made them much smaller and closer together and created, tried to create like a community in there. And it was a, a ton of natural elements. And so there's a way to build things 
affordably and embrace yeah. these concepts and in that Carlton landing is around like a lake and things like that. And right. um, so it doesn't need to be high end and no. like an, an elite setup. It can be, uh, it can be very affordable. And like I said, it can be yeah. the window or a, a door and it could be some plants inside. I, maybe I'm stating a little bit of the obvious, but I just don't want people to, um, a lot of times, even with sustainability and all these other things, they say, oh yeah, well, it's great if you have all that money. Right. right. It doesn't really have to, it doesn't have to be that way. Right? No, no. And I think more people are proving, you know, that that's possible. Um, yeah. and, and it can actually, you know, you're seeing projects where it can be done even more economically by going that route instead of doing it the, the traditional method. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to take the governors off here. What do you think when you can answer one of these or both of them and however way you fit, I don't want to constrain you, but what do you think we see more of over the next one, two, five, ten years? Mm -hmm. um, and what do you think we're going to see less of? And don't feel, don't feel like you have to be constrained to the biophilic stuff, just in yeah. generally. Yeah, that's a loaded question. Where do I start? Um, yeah, there, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think with respect to the design and construction industry, um, I think, I don't know if, I, if it's more of I think or I hope, but, you know, I hope we're going to see a continued movement towards more responsible uh, design and building and, and what responsible means to to certain people uh, uh, may may differ but i guess it, in my case it's it's yeah doing just more sustainably designed and built buildings and um you know considering resiliency and things we build you know so you know long term what does this do for us uh, not just looking in the short term um you know because we've we've seen firsthand you know some of the effects the long-term effects of thinking short term and uh you know we're dealing with those those issues now i did want to say one thing about your um your comment about building sustainable i heard mm -hmm. someone use a interesting uh or had an interesting thought which was like good design Mm -hmm. is more sustainable and her logic was that 30 years or 50 years from now yeah. when the building is at the end of its useful life if it is right. a ugly looking building in an office park no one is going to hesitate to tear the thing down and build a new Absolutely. building but yeah if you build a beautiful building that's aesthetically pleasing that people love they're going to be yeah. more likely just to renovate that building or upgrade that building right. to meet the needs. So I was like, huh, that's a pretty interesting tie to make that leap from a well-designed building aesthetically yeah. making it more sustainable. Yeah, no, that that's, and it's a great point. I mean, we're, we're much more likely to preserve a building that's, uh, you know, of, of value to us and, and, is beautifully designed and built i mean i did it with my own home is uh i did two townhouses and this is uh this was built in 1832. yeah we i mean we did a lot of interior work there wasn't much not much here historically to to preserve but the exterior was completely preserved 
and that's largely because it's just it's a beautiful house you know mm-hmm. why would you want to uh rip it rip everything off the, the exterior so we kept it and mm-hmm. i think yeah her point is definitely valued definitely valid it's totally true and that's why i i often you know will tell people you know when they're when they're planning to uh design and and build a new renovation or new big building is take the time to design don't rush it hmm. you know there, there's so much value in designing a building and taking the time to do it the right way hmm. uh, because you know your end product will be that much more valuable great advice to end on all right lee thanks for spending the time this morning to to run through this thanks for writing that article i really recommend everybody to go on over to massconstruction.org and read that article it's like it was a very um, dense sounds like a bad word but it had a lot in there a lot to learn so if you'd like to really kind of dig in on this topic i think it would be um, interesting read there was some you know where you start talking about like the golden ratio which we didn't even get into and some interesting steps that you have in that article one of the things that i just learned recently was 3m has this product it's called vas it's um i forget what the visual visual visualization something system mm-hmm. uh, and what it's able to do is look at images so you can like upload pdfs or models of buildings or packaging or whatever mm-hmm. and it can analyze it and tell like what elements uh, people will focus on mm-hmm. it, just by using like data science yeah uh, and it's an it's a whole interesting and, and and they their whole thing is like that's stuff that you're doing at that subconscious level right so i think between you know the golden ratio concept and how we know that's kind of being proven out now by science and you can have a software that shows whether that works or not is right. all really interesting stuff so if people find that stuff fascinating uh, head on over and read uh, Lee's article. I think it'll be worth your time. Great. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate right. it. And Thanks. always a pleasure talking to you. We out. We out. We out.